Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please feel free to follow us and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. And of course, if you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. All right, today we are talking about smart buildings and what goes into delivering a more intelligent workplace that removes the friction of hybrid work for your employees. There's a lot that goes into all of that and our champions are going to help us uncover what we all want to know on the topic. So stick around for the next half hour or so and learn with us. All right, let's get started with introductions. Richard, I'm going to start with you. Who are you? Hello, uh, my name is Richard Atkin. I work for a gold partner in the UK called ITGL and I spend loads of time dealing with the wireless networks and APIs and IoT and sensors in buildings and all this sort of good stuff to, to try and help my customers' um, IT teams deliver the, the solutions their businesses need. Wonderful. Sebastian, you're up next. Yeah, my name is Sebastian Leuser. I'm solution architect at Deutsche Telekom with a strong focus on collaboration, especially on WebEx and all the devices. And I'm looking daily for how to get the most of the investments of my existing customers. Wonderful. Sibrin, what are you? Not what are you? Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> my name is Sibrin Bergerkamp. I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, I'm solution architect and owner of Three Corners. And at Three Corners, we primary focus on uh, the Cisco uh, collaboration portfolio WebEx and we're lately doing quite a lot of uh, Microsoft UC portfolio integrations. All right. Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. Who are you and what do you do at Cisco? Hey, thanks. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm here at Cisco. I actually look after our global go-to-market strategy for hybrid work. Um, and we really do focus on hybrid work from a work from anywhere, home and in the office. And the office part is foundationally built on smart buildings. So uh, typically I introduce myself as, you know, the leader or looking after hybrid work with sustainable real estate, because that's a really big key for us in that smart building space. Okay, cool. Um, Jeremy, when we ask different people uh, how to define the term smart building, we get different answers from uh, different people's insights. Um, what's Cisco's view on this? Yeah, it's a good question. So. We, and we get that question a lot, right? What is a smart building? Um, so <clears throat> we really believe that a smart building is digitized real estate that delivers both outcomes and the needed agility to continually amplify that intersection of people, space, and technology. And so smart buildings to us is not like the home automation that you might you know, do with uh, network connected lights and, and other things at home, but smart buildings really is is using technology as the fourth utility pervasively in that building, and it needs to be as readily readily available as water, gas, and power. Once we've done that, I think uh, Richard mentioned earlier APIs. <clears throat> Once we've built technology systemically into the building, we can unlock the data that it has available to us, share that data through a variety of different APIs, and build systems and orchestration layers on top to automate various aspects of that space. Hopefully that yeah, helps. made sense yeah, cool. and helps. Yeah, nice. So, so can you talk about some of the more common automations you see? Like, what ha having all of that data is awesome, but like, 
what are people doing with it? Why, why should they invest in smart building technologies? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. So there's a couple of different use cases that pop to my mind, especially in a hybrid work world and, and an environment today. Um, we're using data to articulate how people are interacting with the space. And more specifically, where are they interacting with that space inside of our building? And then we use that data to inform room booking systems, um, both for you know spaces that can be reserved ahead of time, as well as ad hoc spaces that can't be reserved ahead of time. But we still need to pay attention to whether or not that spot, or that huddle room or that hot desk is being used so we can articulate what's available to employees as they come back into the facility. So really, really focused today in, in recent projects around space utilization, um, both for the employees to understand where they can go to accomplish work inside of the facility, as well as for facilities and real estate to do things like aligning the cleaning schedule. Um, we can no longer, uh, one, of the, one of the examples Christian Bigsby uses from you know, our workplace resources teams is we can no longer have the same cleaning schedule for the restrooms that we had prior to the pandemic because we don't know if we have 17 people in a building on any given day or 180 people on any given day. And if it's 17, it doesn't make sense to clean those restrooms every hour or 30 minutes or whatever the schedule is. So we're really looking at holistically across the floor plate, how do we uh, align the services we need based on how our employees are using that facility that day? So that's one example. Another cool example that I'll use is um, with when people walk into our conference rooms, um, our conference rooms are built for a variety of different sizes. You could have 12 people in some, some are 20 people, some are just three. And historically, the way that building management systems have operated is that they'll have an occupancy sensor in a, in a room. And if that occupancy sensor detects someone's in there, they'll bring in fresh air into that room. And they'll bring in the amount of fresh air into that room that the room's sized for. So if I go back to my 12-person conference room, the BMS system will notice that someone's come in and it'll bring 12 people worth of fresh air into that room. But the reality is it was only Richard and I that walked in. So it was two people going into that room. And that's a waste. That's 10 people's worth of fresh air that's very expensive. And the average person is about a 300-watt light bulb when you walk into a room. So we now tell our variable air valves um, above that ceiling that we only have two people in the room and we're getting that data from our WebEx endpoint. So that's another level of automation where we're really trying to streamline the services we consume. And that goes back to both the financial benefit of it as well as the sustainability benefit, right? Because if we're only bringing in two people's worth of fresh air, we're really um, sparing ourselves from the, the usage of the grid to, to run that BMS system. And that BMS is building management system. Right? So, so I guess that the sort of realization I've just had then is that it's not necessarily as simple as going from no data to some data, but rather people might have building management systems and systems in place already that provide some data, but by providing better data, so going from is there somebody in my room or not to there are two people in my room, we can, we can provide better services to that that building or that room or that space a more efficient use of the aircon like you say I'd, i had never really thought about it like that of, of from just presence to like there's x number of people and being able to tailor it that's um oh, that's cool man yeah yeah we've actually seen quite a substantial gain when we did this at uh, pen one plaza and our smart building studio team worked with um our uh, 
workplace resources. So that's our that's our real estate and facilities team as well as IT, and really sat down and said, how can we leverage this automation to re- reduce our ongoing operation costs, as well as you know think through a smarter way of building it in the first place. Yeah, nice. You mentioned the WebEx devices as sensor for um, how many people are in the room. What other kind of sensors can you use to get those information? So in the meeting room, the most accurate sensor we have is a WebEx endpoint because our cameras are extremely high quality. In fact, they're so, they're so good that we've actually had to make recommendations to ourselves and our customers what wall you need to mount those on. Because if you mount it across from the door and the door has glass, we can actually detect and count people outside of the room through the window. Um, they're pretty powerful. But so anyway, um, other sensors we're using for open spaces would be our Meraki cameras. Um, so we use those for security, uh, physical security reasons. But we can also draw regions of interest for locations at large, like like a nice area that would resemble your house where we have a couch and a couple chairs and it's a lounge area where you can just kind of sit down and accomplish some work with your laptop on your on your on your lap or you know on a little uh, table Um, and then we draw regions of interest around those spaces so we get people counts again for a variety of different reasons how often is that non-video enabled spot being used for work that's one question we want to answer and then again our cleaning crew does someone need to go back in and and touch that area up because when we came back from the pandemic our employees expected hospital grade sanitation levels in the in the building so we're really trying to pay attention to that utilization of space, whether it's a meeting room, an open space, or um, <clears throat> the restrooms like before, and making sure we're bringing a cleaning team in there with the frequency that makes sense to, to meet our employees' expectations of health and wellness. Okay, but uh, Jeremy, Jeremy um, just to be honest, the world is not just Cisco, right? There are also quite a lot of other vendors which has all kinds of senses uh, uh, in the building, maybe already. How can we deal with those? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's a ton of independent third-party occupancy sensors that the world uses today to automate lighting in hallways, right? Um, those are all compatible. They can run on top of our network. So if I go back to that fourth utility comment, um, the sensors don't all have to come from us. And in fact, nine times out of 10, they won't, right? So we will reuse those sensors from third parties that have actually partnered with us, qualified their data feeds and their streams. We know that the devices are safe and they're not compromised. We know what kind of device it is and what part of the network to put it on from a zero trust perspective. But yeah, there's a, there's a ton of sensors. We actually have a an entire marketplace out on uh, Cisco.com for DNA spaces. And actually it's not called DNA spaces anymore. It's called Cisco spaces. But um that that team has actually gone through a whole hundreds of independent third-party um, vendors and partners who make an IoT-enabled thing or device that can sit on top of our smart buildings network. And they've gone through the detail of qualifying them, making sure that they function properly. And then we put them up on the, the Cisco Spaces or DNA Spaces marketplace for our customers and our partners to use as something that's been pre-verified to work on top of our smart buildings platform. But does Cisco itself pre-verify all those devices or is there some kind of an automated process of identifying correct operation of those devices? Yeah, the devices that are on that website have been have been actually certified and verified by someone in our business unit. So we've received um, 
demo units or production units. Uh, they've gone to our facility. We've put them through their paces and, and we're confident that they work and will function properly on top of that fourth utility or that, that smart buildings uh, platform. Oh, wow. That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And, but, you know, the, the challenge is whenever you want to really go smart, um, people perceive that as risky and expensive and, and all these other, you know, negative connotations when in fact it's actually the opposite. Um, so that's why we, we're putting the time and energy into that marketplace because we want to know, you know, who do we have confidence in that their IoT devices and sensors will have the same level of uptime and, and quality built into them that we have built inherently into that network network itself, right? So Nice. So, so, so Cisco Spaces, I'm, new name, Cisco Spaces, uh, hoovers up all this data from all these sensors, your, your sensors and third-party sensors, and it all magically appears in the cloud. Can can you talk about like the the so what what like what happens next? We've hoovered up all this data and we've got it into one place. Like how do how do we make use of that? Yeah, so I I'll go back and use some of the examples that I was talking about earlier. So at Pen One Plaza, when we did our deep retrofit there, um, we are now streaming about five thousand data points a second coming out of a fifty eight thousand square foot office, and that data is anything from occupancy, like we talked about to the temperature or indoor air quality IAQ sensors. Um, and we're streaming that data and then we're acting on it in a variety of different use cases. So indoor air quality is really, really important to our employees. Um, we are a well-certified building, so we have to show them definitively how, how you know, clean the air quality is in our space um, and a few other uh, uh, use cases as well. So we use the IAQ sensors to just transparently tell our employees What's the temperature, pressure? What's the relative humidity in our space? Um, so that's one use case there. Then we actually, you know, still use those IAQs to to communicate back up to the BMS system, like I mentioned before. So when you have a closed door conference room meeting, the level of CO two starts to rise in that room because it's there's not circulating, right? So whether it's the WebEx navigator that we have on the the desktop or an independent IAQ sensor, we're feeding that data back into the BMS system and we'll bring in fresh air. Um, another thing that we act on in that case is we'll actually use WebEx to prompt the meeting uh, team to crack the door open if the if the air quality really starts to go down uh, because there's there's too many uh, salespeople with hot air talking in that conference room. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So does that help? Yeah, so, so I, I've had a, a play around with um, with Cisco Spaces and found myself exploring like there's two marketplaces right there's one for all the sensor hardware and then there's the other one for like a whole bunch of cloudy service providers that can that can hoover up all that data do they go through the same sort of rigorous certification processes as the hardware like if they're in that marketplace are they are they a certified like Cisco awesome partner yeah, if, if they're in that marketplace on that site, uh, you can have confidence that their integration works with either upstream or downstream of our systems uh, in, in that smart building space. Um, you bring up a good point because I've talked about how we're acting on that data in a variety of different ways. There's another capability that's built out, especially relevant for hybrid work, is a 3D floor plate map, right? So now Cisco Spaces actually takes the data that we're grabbing and lays it over the top of the furniture layout and all the hallways and all the rooms 
and provides real-time visibility to our employees when they come into a space off the elevator. They can see what's available with you know red, yellow, and green color coding. They can choose to put a, you know put a space on hold and walk to it and then sit down and, and begin uh, their meeting or and or their their focused work. Um, the other way that we're using that Cisco Spaces data and telemetry is with our Firehose API. So in that capacity, we're really running headless, if you will. Um, we're grabbing data from the access points, the Meraki cameras, the WebEx devices, the independent IEQ sensors or fill in the blank. Um, and we're pushing all that data from, you know, seven to 20 different APIs that we're pulling it from. And we're consolidating that all into one single API that we push northbound. So IBM Tririga or whoever else a customer may already be using from an automation perspective can just take that data and start making decisions on their end as well. So we're really trying to create that democratization of data in the floor plate and normalizing that and getting that out to our customers to act on even outside of our own systems. Is that already available, uh, Jeremy, the northbound interface? Yep, it's it's readily available. It's already in uh, general sale and we have a lot of detail on Cisco.com on the, that specific API and how to communicate to it. You mentioned several times the Pen1 building. Um, what did you make there completely different than in other locations when you made it from scratch new? Yeah, <clears throat> so, uh, Pen1 was an, was an opportunity for us to take a, a big step back and apply holistically our entire smart buildings architecture. So it was something that we did during the pandemic. The team and, and the team was led really by, um, again, our WPR uh, resources, but uh, two folks named Bob Cicero and Mark Miller. Um, Bob Cicero leads our smart building studio here in the Americas. And Mark is one of our leaders on the uh, the collaboration and workplace um, transformation side of the house. They took a big step back and said, how would we do this to be as sustainable as we possibly could and as agile as we think we need it in a hybrid work world? So we went and went all the way down and took all the high voltage out of the building because high voltage is not as efficient at distributing energy in a space um, as low voltage DC. So we replaced everything that was in the high voltage world with power over ethernet. And that came right from our Cisco switches, the same switches that run the network for the IT side with 90 watts of power are the same switches that we use to power lighting shades, blinds. Um, and when we take the AC or the high voltage and convert it in our switch back in the IDF closet to low voltage DC, we do it much more efficiently than if you were to take that same AC power run it 50, 75 feet out in the ceiling, and then let the lighting manufacturer decide how they're gonna transform that power from AC to DC, because a, a large majority of the world runs on low voltage DC, but they use AC to transport it in high long distances. So it's just a very inefficient way, the old way. So one of the biggest things we made the decision right up front was technology was gonna be the fourth utility, and we were gonna take a DC microgrid based approach. And, and again, like Bob Cicero's team with that smart building studio really led the way to, to educate even our own internal real estate team on just how we go about doing that. Spent time with Gensler, who was our architect, again, helping them understand how do we apply that within that space. And then once we had technology where we needed it to be, then we could start focusing on the use cases that we wanted to build on top of having that, that technology or that as the fourth utility and that data available to us throughout the entire building itself. Jeremy, I think that that sounds very wonderful because that, 
I, but doesn't that only work well within uh, when using a greenfield office environment? What what if you already have uh, an entire building in place which you would like to enhance? I think the, the costs introducing those kind of technology will be slightly different. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so it kind of gets into semantics a little bit. Greenfield versus brownfield, right? Um, Pen One is a an old building, um, and we had our offices there for almost twenty years already. Um, so we did a we did what was called a deck to deck renovation where we gutted it. But not everybody's going to gut their space and start over, right? So it's kind of a kind of a mix between a greenfield and a brownfield. But if you're truly going to go into a space that you're not going to tear down the walls and tear down the ceiling, and you want to figure out how do you retrofit, um, it's really a little bit more on a case by case basis. If that space still has lights that are troughers, which are you know like two by two feet uh, lights, and they're still running fluorescent or incandescent, then there's a really big value proposition to move those over to PoE LED, and it's not entirely difficult in, in many of those ceilings, uh, as long as they're not like completely permanent ceilings. It's not it's not entirely difficult to pull new Cat5 or Cat6 cable through the ceiling and do that distribution. Um, so it just really depends, honestly. I know that that's a bad answer, um, but it just depends on how accessible is the space. Can we pull new drops? You know, we, we know the folks in IT have been pulling new networking drops in existing spaces for decades, right? They fish the wire down the wall and they punch a new hole in it and voila, you have a network connection where you never had one before. So it's it's not as difficult as one might think to re-electrify and, and bring technology in as the fourth utility even in brownfield deployments, it just takes a bit more planning up front. And you know, so we have a few strategies under our sleeve in terms of how you can do that from an economics perspective. But whether you go fully down the DC microgrid in an existing space or surgically update specific things like the WebEx endpoints and upgrade video um, conferencing rooms um, and or put new access points like our Wi-Fi 6 APs in place of old ones, um, you can make those surgical updates as well and start really bringing up the intelligence level of your facility and the data and insights that it can start to generate. And of course, the, the easiest starting point for someone to do a transformation is to start with Cisco Spaces on top of whatever they else they just have in that facility because that's how we did it. So before the pandemic, we actually were using Cisco Spaces or DNA Spaces prior to the pandemic in our own real estate portfolio. And using Wi-Fi data alone, we were able to determine that over 40% of our facilities worldwide were not being used, or 40% of our space wasn't being used. So you were already able to kind of baseline with the equipment you already have, uh, what, what a potential outcome would be for introducing more smart building technology. Yeah, absolutely. And so we had a real estate compression strategy in place even prior to the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated it for us because everybody went home so we could actually start closing the offices we fully intended on closing. We could start renovating the ones that now needed to serve instead of 200 people, 2,000 people, right? So we, we it, it gave us an opportunity, you know, don't ever want to go through it again if we don't have to, right, as a society. But um we certainly took full advantage of it in our real estate portfolio and, and our number one um, go-to 
for all of our facilities moving forward is our smart buildings platform. We're rolling it out in Atlanta right now. Um, we're doing our office in Paris, hopefully just in time for the Paris Olympics. Um, and then we have a handful of others that we're, that we're moving on down the, the, the path as well. Independent of that, we have a, a really large number of our facilities that are already enabled with the 3D map from Cisco Spaces because as our employees start to leave their house and come back in, it's been forever and a day since they've been in the office and we may have reconfigured it subtly. So they need that map to understand just where do they need to go to meet with their team or accomplish business that day. Nice. You were talking about the, 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 the fourth service provider, the fourth utility being data. How, how do you see that playing like within a big organization? Like you must see this, like the IT guys probably don't care very much about their electricity bill the guy who runs the light bulb probably never really touches a network switch or may not really care what UPO is. Like, like this, this, this innovation will represent a lot of change for a lot of people and, and sort of muddies the water that we've seen, you know, over the last, well, the entire life of IT has, has, has worked in the same way as electricity has worked. And now, and now we're changing that. How, like, do you have any insight into like how you persuade both of these teams that previously like often like oil and water, how do you persuade them to, to adopt this? So I would say um, we're in a very strange and interesting world right now because with the pandemic and people starting to re-enter the office and our customers are making the same or asking themselves the same questions that we ask ourselves, how much of our space do we need? How many employees are going to come back? Do we really need that many seats or conference rooms or even, you know, floors in a building? Um, so, this re-entry into the office is driving the conversation in and of itself. Every single real estate person that we meet with is asking themselves, how do I understand my real-time space utilization in my facilities so I can make intelligent decisions? Because before us, before we do a smart building, the old way was to hire in some of the big consulting firms and have them come in with their consultants with clipboards and walk the hallways and count the number of people in spaces. That's not real time, and that's not as accurate as it needs to be. Um, so they are they are desperately looking for solutions that will give them that visibility they need to make more informed decisions. Likewise, IT is getting their door knocked on by the real estate team saying, what can you tell me about what's happening in my space? And IT is having to take a step back and say, well, I'm not actually sure because no one's asked me that question before, potentially, right? So, so IT is really looking for best practices and blueprints on how do I, how do I bring my IT network into the OT world so I can give my line of business the visibility they need for an entirely different set of problems that we've never had to solve in the past. So it is it it's really interesting because prior to the pandemic, it was all about well, we build smart buildings because they're they're more sustainable, because they're more energy efficient, because of these other reasons, and those were the compelling drivers. Now, you know, people are realizing, and they've known this all along, real estate is the second largest cost on their income statement, um, uh, second only behind employee costs. And if they're not using that resource, they shouldn't be paying money, they shouldn't be spending money on it, right? So it has become absolutely top of mind for both the real estate and the IT team. How do they how do they build something better than what they have to help their business deliver in this new, very 
unchartered territory of hybrid work. Nice. I, yeah, I perhaps didn't realize there's there's so much demand, like from the estates, the facility side of it. That's, uh, yeah, that's good. To yeah, know. I was just, I was, you know, just spent uh, some time at Gartner's IT Expo and got a chance to meet with many CIOs. And that was probably the biggest thing we had in those conversations with them was they're being asked by their real estate team for a solution. And it's a solution to a problem that they've never necessarily had to solve before, right? And so I was fortunate enough uh, in the middle of the pandemic to, to join JLL on a um, panel with a very large global bank and got to sit down and talk to 60 of their real estate professionals in, in that bank. And they had, I can't, I can't say who it is, but they have over 300 locations worldwide and 900 siloed air-gapped disparate systems in their real estate. And they're sitting there trying to figure out how are they going to get data off of those systems? Some of them aren't even, majority of them weren't even connected to the cloud, let alone their data center. Many of the systems didn't even have a server, so they would actually have to go send someone in a car with a USB drive, plug it into the control system, download the data, and then bring it back to HQ and make some decisions on it. You can't, you can't survive in a hybrid work world if that's your real estate you know, OT network, right? So many, many light bulbs are going on across, no, no pun intended, uh, many light bulbs are going on, going off across the, the world where people are starting to really realize the power that data in their real estate will have for them. And the, the team that has the answer for them is IT and they're inside their own organization. They just don't, they may not know that yet. So this converged network we bring to the table with IT and OT with our smart buildings platform um, really does a nice job of simplifying those next steps from their perspective. Nice. And does, does that include like the reporting and all that sort of stuff? You know, Cisco, IT company, right? But does, 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 that, does that include the reporting? So, you know, you, you pull these sensors out there, you're trying to understand how, how well utilized your estate is. How, like, practically speaking, how does somebody get a report that helps them understand yeah, my building is 20% busy or 80% busy. Like, how, how do you convey that in human language for, for someone to act on? Yeah, so we have quite a few dashboards built out inside of Cisco Spaces um, that will, can help summarize that space utilization, give you heat maps, people counts. You can export that data um, to, to use with in, in offline platforms, um, whatever you know our customer's choice may be. Um, and likewise, if, if we haven't put it in the dashboard in Cisco Spaces, then if you're using our WebEx endpoints, our WebEx control hub does the same type of thing where you can actually go in and go even deeper into you know how many minutes of engagement does the team have when they're in that, that room? What's the average number of people joining from a large or medium-sized conference room? Uh, so we do a very good job of rolling up that information in those in those dashboards and systems but again then all that all that data is available in our apis so if a customer has a more advanced application that they're using they can actually ping our systems and pull that data straight up to a different application to 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 run reports in a different way and however they've, they've chosen right so i would say we're not trying to be the solution on the reporting side that's not an area where we have historically, you know, maybe um, ha had a forte in, <laughs> right? Um, 
but we'll give you enough information to be dangerous and enough information to ask answer certain questions and then leverage us as that platform and, and leverage that in, in, in organizations like I mentioned, IBM Trariga, just because it was top of mind. But, you know, they have spent millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in making a really good application. We would never even dream of trying to replace that, right? We just want to inform it with a whole bunch of more data sources and that it, it never had access to in the past. But then you see, Jeremy, a ecosystem around the FireOS API as well. Uh, uh, partners who get all the data out of the APIs and, and create, for example, a, a cost savings or reporting on cost savings on, on, on different settings. Or if you turn, uh, turn off the light five minutes uh, uh, sooner, then you uh, spend that amount of money less on your energy bill, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, another um, site on Cisco.com is uh, our Portfolio Explorer. And if you go to Cisco.com and you choose Industries, you can actually see that there's a Smart Buildings um, page from an industry perspective. And that has a dozen of our most common use cases. And if you click on Energy and Energy Utilization, I think it is, or Optimization, if you click on that, we actually list all the third-party independent software vendors that have been working with us to leverage the Firehose API in some capacity or another and all the rest of our APIs. Um, and uh, they built reporting and analytics. So whether it's brainbox.io or AppSpace or MazeMap or PlaceOS or fill in the blank, there's a really long list there of companies that are actually acting on that data in a very meaningful way. It just depends on what's the outcome that our customer is looking to get out of that space. And that'll help guide them to what's the right you know, software platform to do that outside of our systems. Cool. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, we're going to blend uh, IT and network uh, consultants, network engineers with uh, people who maintain buildings and, 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 and stuff. Uh, maybe even also electrical systems. Um, that means that you need to know quite a lot of uh, local regulations or, or, or all that kind of stuff. How, how does this fit in? Who, who will um, create or will be, who, who will own the smart building technology? That, that, that must be multiple teams, right? That cannot be just the IT guy anymore. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. Um, so um, when it comes to like local codes, Every, every country, every city in every country has what they call an AHJ. That's the authority having jurisdiction over electrical permits and decision-making. Um, so we have a lot of material on Cisco.com where you can actually look at how are we using power over Ethernet for lighting, shades, blinds, all the architectures with full CVDs. Um, that can be useful at times for the AHJ, but more often than not, our customers are pulling in and they're always pulling in um, MEP firms, so a mechanical electrical plumbing firm. They're the ones that sit, take a step back and do the designs. They know the local codes um, and that they have to meet in each of the different countries. Uh, Stantec is a, part, a partner of ours that we use you know, within Cisco, but also been working with them on the smart building side of the house. And they can take and step our customers really quickly through, how do I use you know, 90 watts of PoE to, to really be my electrical distribution throughout my building and meet all the safety codes. Um, sometimes there's, there's emergency lighting conversations that come in with POE and backups versus not. Um, but we pretty much haven't 
met a code challenge we haven't been able to solve quite quite easily with our you know how we're distributing that power connectivity and security with our networks in the in the building side of the house i don't know if i answered your question yeah well, you specifically, did i know i know it's complex uh it is you mentioned uh, i think the uh, the uh, regulatories of the united states but uh, we are I'm from the netherlands and, and sebastian's from 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 germany uh so there will be quite sure totally different um so it's it's very very interesting to know yeah yeah we have hundreds of smart buildings deployed worldwide um in countries all over the world uh, a, a very significant number in the uki um and EMEA uh, going you know pretty well right now i mean not pretty well but we're expanding pretty well that's what i was trying to trying to say same with uh, the you know apjc so it's not just a u.s thing it is global um and you're right everybody's electrical codes and standards are subtly different and it's the MEPs and these architecture firms that can help navigate that. Um, and the information we have available with our sales team, like Bob Cicero's team plus on Cisco.com can really help those, those designers take that next step and move off of high voltage into more of a DC microgrid with, with POE approach. Um, anything we haven't touched, Jeremy? No, I think we've kind of covered the whole the whole gamut uh, at this point. Um, so hopefully uh, I was able to share some valuable insight based on the questions, but uh, the questions have been great as well. So really appreciate them. Yeah, great, great conversation. All right, we'll wrap up. Um, to our listeners, if you wanna continue your learning on today's topic, uh, just to check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, this is your weekly reminder. You can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening and see you again next week.